We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, BlueWire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with BlueWire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater throwing to the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel still on his feet inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown! What a play! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded. All right, another edition of the Roar Podcast. John and Billy here with you on a beautiful Carolina East Coast weekend here. Hello, earthquake in the Carolinas. <laughs> a little rattled up here, but we're... Uh, we're, uh, we're here and we're okay, no, no damage so far, and uh, ready to talk a little Panthers defense. Uh, again, this is the Roar on Blue Wire. Hope you guys are having a safe and happy weekend here, and uh, looking forward to this chat. Billy, how you doing, man? Doing well. Hope everyone's okay. No one's injured from uh, the festivities, as, as I would like to say, this morning. Um, but crazy. yeah, so we're going to get into the defense here, and it's been a a position as a whole that's gone through i would say the most turnover um i mean just look at where we were last year they were the worst defense in the nfl so you would expect them to go through a lot of changes and i think the first place they want to start is defensive line uh they lost obviously dantari poe and mario addison um a few other players that are escaping my mind gerald mccoy um so let's get in there. First, let's start with the edge rushers first. And then they went out and signed Stephen Weatherly from the Vikings. And obviously they have Brian Burns returning. Um, and they drafted Gross Matos in the second round. And 
another guy that they have returning is F.A. Obata, who sometimes gets a, quite a bit of love. Um, and they have a couple other undrafted free agents. But as a whole, I think those three or four guys kind of make up the the bulk of the edge rushing group. What are your thoughts um, on that position right now? Yeah, man, it's a it's an interesting group, Billy. We, uh, we talked about this during the draft, you and I, with uh, some of their needs. And obviously they stuck true to their needs with Derek Brown because the interior part of that line was a, was a big concern. Uh, particularly last year with some of the run fits and, and how they, you know, did not necessarily uh, hold up in that area down the stretch. But also the interior pass rush has not exactly been uh, favorable for Carolina here in the last couple of years. So I think it's good that they've got a Derek Brown there who's obviously stout in terms of the run, but is also developing some pass rush moves. And that'll continue to mature, I think. He's, you know, thought of very highly by a lot of scouts. Uh, Greg Cosell, who I respect a lot, <laughs> had the best line about Brown. He's got country strength. And I think that's one of the things I love about this guy. He's just raw power. So you put him inside there. He can play the three. He can play the nose occasionally. But his main goal there is to just solidify that run defense. Now, picking that high for run defense, yeah, some can question that. But I like the fact that they've got a D-tackle for the future. Reminds me a lot of Chris Jenkins. I think back to Jenkins time in Carolina. He's got the same traits, I think, measures up very uh, similarly. Uh, and then you go to, you know, K1 Short, who is, you know, dealt with injuries here, but when he's healthy, he's still very much in his prime. If those two guys can stay healthy inside, I think that's very favorable. Now, Brian Burns, they've talked about this on the Zoom calls this week. He talked about, uh, with the media here, he's put on 15 pounds, which is great. Uh, obviously, he hurt his wrist last year. That relegated him to the special teams unit for uh, for whatever reason, uh, but he's put the pounds back on because he's been able to lift and do whatever work he needs to do to get that weight back on. Um, and then Gross Matos is a very intriguing prospect. Of course, they've lost Mario Addison, who's a consistent producer for Carolina over the years, but he was streaky. You know, there were some times where he'd get sacks and bundles, maybe two or three at a time, and then disappear for a couple weeks. Um, so you get some young blood in there, and I'm interested to see Gross Matos uh, sort of evolve. Weatherly, I like that pickup. Again, I think that's one of those good value pickups that Carolina seized on. Um, not a whole lot of money paid out there, and you're looking at a guy who can come in and capitalize with more snaps, I think. They had Chris Smith from Cleveland. They let him go. He was a good edge guy that I thought had potential, but uh, they've also picked up somebody off the wire today. I think his name is Bruce Hector. He's from uh, the Jets, and he's got a little bit of experience there. Obviously, and you got names like Marcus Haynes, a guy who's going into his third year now, who's shown some flashes, 6'2", 235. He's very much a hybrid, you know, and very much fits into what Phil Snow, I think, wants to do. So he can line up with his hand in the dirt. He can line up in a you know two-point stance back there and do his thing. A uh, lot of intriguing guys along that line. I'm interested to see, just once again, how these defensive tackles Look, again, they've added Bravian Roy, who is just an absolute nose tackle, if you've ever seen one, 6'1", 330. And then uh, they picked up uh, Zach Kerr. Of course, you know about Zach, 6'2", 334. He's had some pretty good action with Arizona and Denver. Looked pretty good at times. So I think they've done some good things along the line, Billy. I really do. Yeah, so you got into the defensive tackles. Um, and, and I'll just kind of give you my thoughts on it right now. Like I said last year, they lost or excuse me, this offseason they lost Vernon Butler, um, Gerald McCoy, and Dontari Poe. 
And I think those were the right moves um, to let them go. And, I, and those are not untalented players. Just look at the contracts that all three of those players received um, you know, from the other team. I'm not sure if Poe actually got a, another contract. But I know Vernon Butler got paid pretty well, and so did McCoy. But I guess the point um, with the defense that I had an issue with last year was it really didn't have to do much with the 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 base personnel, such as 4-3-3-4. I know a lot of people made um, you know a big deal about that. I just felt that there was just too many misassignments with their gap control. And I don't really feel like that was such an issue with um, who they were playing on base downs. Because, I mean, if you just think about a lot of the NFL teams, especially the best defenses, they mix up those, you know, the, their down linemen. I mean, they every de- defensive coordinator, they said, yeah, we want to play, want to be multiple. And I guess that's just essentially what they're doing, especially the Patriots, the Ravens, um, you know, the Vikings at some points. Those teams all kind of vary their personal, you know, on that, on the defensive line. So I'm not really too worried if, the pan- if you see the Panthers um, coming out with the three four looks, uh, just look. You have to look a little deeper. Like, how are they controlling the gaps? How are they, um, you know, rushing upfield? I know our good friend Cody Alexander gave us a good insight into that. So yeah, and like like I said, I'll be interested to see how K1 Short does. He's getting up there in age, but you know, he's still really good when he's healthy. Uh, hopefully, he's healthy. Like you know, we're hoping for and then um i'm just looking at the defensive you know tackle depth chart doesn't really look too inspiring um bravion roy who you mentioned i I liked him a lot coming out of the draft um he's your typical nose tackle Uh, he had a few games last year for baylor especially in that texas game where he just took it to um the opposing offense line and he i mean you can't move him uh but at the same time i feel like with especially defensive tackles you want to have a little more um, depth, especially with the um, the ability to rush the passer. So I don't really know if Roy can do that consistently. So that'll be interesting. The same thing with Kerr. He was he's similar to Roy in that respect that he's just mainly like a nose tackle and he can hold the point of attack. Um, so right now it's it's just to me it's just K1 Short who's like you're really you're one of the guy you know for a fact that's going to be able to penetrate up the field and really cause havoc. Um, so that's just a little bit of my concern right now with the defensive tackle. Like you mentioned, the defensive end um, or the edge rusher group is pretty solid um, as a whole. Um, wasn't a huge fan of the Weatherly signing just as far as the money was concerned. I feel like Gross Matos has a higher ceiling than him. Um, so I'll be interested to see how that goes as the season goes on. That's a... Uh... A good perspective, you know, and I think you're right. Sometimes we do, and I'm guilty of this, making a little too much of the schematics, the 34, and, you know, what they did run last year in terms of uh, their base. I just think things, uh, for for whatever reason, were out of sorts in terms of that that run defense, and the run fits were absolutely atrocious. And, uh, you know, you're hoping at some point that's something that Phil Snow and and some of these younger guys can, uh, can get a little more discipline with and, Obviously, that that's every level of the defense. It's not just the front four, or the front three. That's that's the linebackers, that's the safeties, that's the corners, and it's it's a team effort. And some of those guys are gone now. You know, Eric Reed's gone, uh, Luke is gone, and and Luke did not have his finest year, but I think he was hamstrung in many ways by some of the things they did do schematically. So while I don't think it's all on scheme, I think at times they sort of threw things into a blender there and hoped it would work, and it it just. Uh, 
just wasn't a great fit there. Yeah, no, no I agree. I don't really want to put the onus simply on scheme or personnel's combination of both. In my opinion, after McDermott left in 2017, you could tell the defense was gradually getting worse. Even 2017, yeah. um, I know they made the playoffs that year and they had a pretty good defense um, metric-wise, I mean, depending on what you look at, yards per play or DVOA or whatever, um, I still saw a lot of inconsistencies on tape with that unit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that Sean McDermott, as we know now, is a very smart defensive mind. So I felt like he was kind of holding the fort together while he was here. Um, but anyway, let, let's transition over to linebacker now. And this is another group that's going through some transition. Obviously, Luke retires and, um, I mean, replacing a Hall of Fame linebacker is never going to be easy. But I, I just feel like Carolina could have done a little better in this department this offseason. Uh, you know, they gave Shaq Thompson the big deal in December, um, which was a little curious. But, I mean, Thompson's still probably an above-average linebacker. And they signed to hear Whitehead. I'm not a fan of him whatsoever. Uh, I'll get to that later, but um, I'll get your perspective first. And then uh, just to round it up, they also have guys like Jermaine Carter and Andre Smith. Um, they were both drafted in Herney's uh, first uh, draft in 2018. So I'll be curious to see how they improve. I mean, they've been decent special teamers. They really haven't made an impression on defense. So, I, again, I really have no idea what to expect from them. And then outside of that, I mean, you mentioned Marquise Haynes. There's obviously some opportunities for him to show his versatility in, in an offline backer role. So um, we'll see. And then they have a few undrafted free agents. Chris Thor is one guy I, um, I highlighted because I really liked his tape coming out of Wisconsin. Um, so I'll be curious to see you know how the competition stacks up behind him. But I think right now it's... Without question, Shaq Thompson and Tahir Whitehead show. So what are your thoughts on that position? You're right. I, I think when you lose Luke Keekley, I think you could – I could make the argument. I think most people should make the argument that that's a bigger loss than Cam Newton in a lot of ways because uh, <laughs> that's a Hall of Fame bona fide inside linebacker, quarterback of the defense, coordinates everything, makes the whole thing go. And even when they're having a down year or a down – patch there he's the glue that holds it together and poof he's gone and that's a devastating loss I mean you just don't get over that in a year so that's going to take some time to hear Whitehead you know I, I've looked at the tape too and I, I think the diagnosis on him is the the coverage is suspect I mean he's not a coverage linebacker he's just not the kind of guy that's gonna you know win in coverage um, the, the run defense is is decent enough I mean it's it's a decent enough guy to put in there and and to solidify that but in terms of this modern era of passing you know it's it's a tough it's a tough one because he's not really cut out for that necessarily you know Shaq can do a number of things I'm confident in his ability to cover uh he's a great blitzer I think he's a great pass rusher and I think they'll try to utilize him more in that area um but yeah those are two guys right there that'll see the most playing time if they stay healthy at linebacker and you know they'll play mostly nickel i mean they're, they're not going to play a whole lot of four three three four they're gonna they're gonna play a lot of nickel in this division so i mean these are the two guys that and possibly dime too i mean they're, they're gonna look at some sets where there's gonna be one linebacker on the field i would think so those are the two guys that i think would get the most playing time carter and smith you know they're coming along developing i've seen some splashes from them on special teams but i think that's what those guys are right now, special teams guys. And uh, 
they didn't add a lot. You're right. You look at the depth chart and what they did, they just didn't add a lot. You know, they've got uh, a Darius Taylor who played with Carolina a couple years ago. He's a solid special teams guy. Chris Orr, I like him a lot too, the kid from uh, Wisconsin. And uh, Jordan Kasanik, who, uh, you know, has shown some flashes, the uh, second-year kid from California. Some say he's ready to come along and slide in and have more of an impact. I'm just not sure yet. I've seen enough from him on tape. Um, outside of that, you know, you look at the hybrid linebackers, you know, Marcus Haynes we talked about uh, will have a role there, I think, to play. Uh, and then uh, Christian Miller, of course, who's now on the uh, COVID list, the or the opt-out list, I should say, was going to have some significant snaps, I think, uh, in that role. There's Jordan Mack as well, who's on that opt-out list, who uh, was an undrafted uh, kid from Virginia who I liked a lot. So they had a couple guys there who probably would have made a big impact on special teams possibly, but uh, again, you're looking at guys who won't be on the roster. But yeah, again, the, the, the thing with uh, Whitehead that, that I would go back to, and I've heard this a lot from people who followed the Raiders last year, some guys who covered the Raiders, the coverage was really a problem. And, you know, that's something that in this defense, in this division, in this league right now, uh, you just got to have. And uh, I'm just not sure that's going to be the best fit, but we shall see. Yeah, it's it's a very cur- it was a very curious decision, especially as we saw them go all line or excuse me all defense in the draft but they really didn't um you know draft a specific linebacker i thought the linebacker class as a whole was pretty good especially in the in the mid rounds they could have really used someone um with an athletic skill set who could potentially compete for one of those roles uh, and just to get to whitehead I, like I, I mean you mentioned his coverage is certainly a liability um, they were i i've also seen some of his tape back when he was in detroit and um, same issue with them. A lot of Lions fans, smart ones that I interact with on Twitter, have constantly kind of derided his inability to really just you know match up with tight ends or running backs. And I don't necessarily think it's an athleticism thing. I just think that the processing speed and the ability to kind of have the 360 degree vision to you know find your target and match with them is a very big issue. And I just don't think that's something that you can improve upon when you are at his, you know, how, however many years he's been in the league. Right, right. So, yeah, that's just kind of my take. So, I mean, it's only a one-year deal from what I understand. So I don't really think they're beholden to him for the foreseeable future. So this is definitely an area um, that's going to be another um, position that's going to be a concern. And, you know, that's... Uh, Maybe they address the next off season. Well, it's a. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is a uh, another one of Matt Rule's guys, right? It's a Temple guy. Yeah. So I mean, maybe he has like some experience just lining people up, and he'll help with right in that aspect. But you know, one thing that kind of irks me, and I, I don't. This isn't a shot at you. Uh, this is just in general. A lot of people make too much of a. They, they try to bring up experience and and how much that can help a team and and kind of alluding to how it really helps mentor young players. I mean, find great players and then your culture and your entire experience label would just go out the window. So just like find great talent and you don't have to worry about, you know, the mentorship or the experience that certain players bring and, and how he's done in, you know, this player's scheme. I mean, just... Yeah, you know, like I said, sign good players, draft good players, and you don't really have to worry about 
um, wasting money on a Tahir Whitehead. Right. Um, but that's just my take. I mean, just look at you go back to 2013. The Panthers have to see they had a rich, a talent rich at tied or at linebacker, and they were able to ship off uh, Beeson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're right. And I think if you're going to add veteran presence, it, it make it make it valuable presence uh, in terms of on the field. I mean, yeah, you're right. It, and this is not a knock on Whitehead. There's some value there. It's just not, I don't think, the kind of value that uh, a lot of fans might expect. It's He's he's a one-dimensional player, I think, in terms of his, his approach. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, you always want to have a core group there that can lead, but you got to make sure those guys can play, Billy. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I want to focus on cornerbacks first. We'll get to safeties later. Um, so this, this is where it gets interesting, folks. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll let me give you an introduction on who the players are, and then um, I'll allow you to speak to each one. Um, so Dante Jackson is going to come back, and obviously he has the biggest fan base on Twitter. He, there's never anything wrong with him. He has, you know, a big you know, huge contingent of Twitter followers love his game. They all have his jersey. Uh, so yeah, so right now he, he's projected to start with uh, potentially Eli Apple, the former New Orleans Saint, on the other side, and then uh, the competition at slot cornerback is going to be interesting. They drafted Troy Pride in the fourth round. They really talked him up. Um, Cole Luke and Cornelder, they both return. Uh, and then they have some other guys on the back end, like Stanley Thomas Oliver, who they drafted in the, the seventh round, uh, Derek Thomas, and Miles Hartsfield. I think they were both undrafted free agents. So let's focus on the quarterbacks first here. What are your impressions overall of this group? Well, you know, it's it's not a group that it <laughs> inspires a lot of confidence. Let's just say that. I mean, it's let let's be honest about Dante. You know, he's he struggled with his confidence. I mean, we we can talk about it all day long. You know, he's he's got the swagger, and you know, he's this and that. I, I don't give a shit about any of that. I care about results and production. And every year since he's been in the league, there has been some sort of breakdown, whether it's mental, whether it's assignment, um, and then just the physical ability to match up at times. I just haven't been that impressed. Like I was at the game, uh, the Thursday game, week two last year versus Tampa where Godwin early on just ate him up on a little slant um, near the end zone. It was sort of a uh, out and in slant there, and he just just shredded him. And, and Jackson, of course, was playing, you know, nine yards off. I just don't know. I mean, he's done some things. You know, the, the, the he flashed in that New Orleans game on Monday night, but that was a terrible throw by Breeze where he returned it 100 yards. I mean, that was sort of a gimme gift and obviously good speed returning it. But I just haven't seen you know, the, the dynamic type of playmaking that he's hyped up as such. So I, the jury's still very much out on Dante to me. I, I, I do like his ability to get in there at times and make a play in the run game. It's inconsistent, but he will do it. He's done a Cincinnati game in his rookie year. He looked ferocious in that game. I think he had two or three picks in that game. One of those picks uh, on the boundary was fantastic. Another one was a gimme by Dalton, but, uh, you know, I liked what I saw early on. I just some of the inconsistencies that were even chronicled in that all or nothing series where you could see some of the confidence issues that he had. That's not something you really want to see, even from a rookie or a second year guy. So um, he had a rough go of it last year against Seattle. Uh, there's just been too many gaffes, too many lapses. And again, some of that might be coaching, some of that might be the inconsistency uh, with the pass rush, but, you know, 
to be a guy that's hyped up as much as he has been, you've got to put a little more into it than that. Uh, so that's where I stand on Dante. This is a very much a proven year for him in my book. Uh, you know, Eli Apple, you know, you mentioned him a while back, and, and I think you and I agreed with that when the signing happened. It was a, a very low-risk to no-risk move. It was sort of trashed on Twitter, you know, and Twitter's not exactly a reservoir of knowledge, if you hadn't noticed. I mean, there's, you're going to get a lot of dog shit opinions out there, some of which come from me at times. But um, we, we try to keep it as factual as we can here. And, and Eli, you know, has, has had some struggles, but given the contract they gave him, there's very little risk here. And it gives him an opportunity as a former first-round pick to come in and rejuvenate his career. So while I'm not so hot on Dante for the hype he does get, I do like the fact that Apple is coming in on a modest deal with an opportunity to resurrect a little bit and to, to sort of redirect his career. Because if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and nothing really lost there. Uh, as far as Troy Pride, I'm a big fan. You know, he's right down the road in Greer High School. That's where he went. So I saw him play at preps level. And obviously he went on to Notre Dame, had a great senior bowl, love his speed, love his athleticism, and I think he can play that slot position. I'm not sure if Dante is a good fit for the slot. I don't know if that's something he'll be transitioned to at some point, but uh, I think Troy can play that position. I think he's athletic enough and smart enough to play it. And then you've got a list of guys, you know, back there on the back end, some of the younger guys that were drafted and some of the other pickups, you know, Derek Thomas, Stanley Thomas, Oliver, the third corn elder, you know, he has struggled at times. We picked on him a little bit for that Seattle game a couple years ago, but again, that was a tough assignment for him uh, coming out, uh, you know, basically as a rookie against Russell Wilson on fourth down and just getting posted on that play, but that's going to happen. Um, he hasn't had a whole lot of reps since. And then Cole Luke is a guy who, you know, media folks have talked about and hyped up as the favorite to be the slot corner the past couple of years, and he's just not materialized. So curious to see how that works out. But again, it's not a group that inspires a lot of confidence at this point. There's going to have to be a whole lot of help from the front four getting that pressure to make that group look good, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because they don't really have much length at corner. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or bad thing. I'm just saying that a lot of the better defenses in this league, they're really valuing having length um, and the ability to disrupt the line of scrimmage. So, like I said, I'll, I'll be very curious to see how they do um, you kind of employ their coverages, uh, given that fact. And I just want to make one point on Dante. Uh, I think you and I disagree a little bit on him. And I, I mean... I agree with your overall point that confidence was an issue. Uh, it's a little tougher for me to gauge that. I just feel, in my opinion, that there's been a little bit too much criticism over his play when I don't think that's necessarily fair. Uh, I think that, in general, you know, he was a second-round player. He played at LSU under a very um, demanding scheme. Um, you know, Dave Aranda, he's now the coach at Baylor. He's probably one of the more smarter defensive minds in, in all of college football. They, they do a lot of pattern matching. They do a lot of um, – they mix up their coverages quite a bit. So I think that he has the requisite knowledge and ability. Uh, I mean, he's a tremendous athlete. He just lacks length. Uh, and I think that, you know, his fluidity, his ability to kind of drive on throws that are, you know, in front of him, his ability to kind of, um, you know, match with receivers, uh, especially on the short intermediate areas where he's having a change direction. I think that's all there. It's really good, actually. Uh, but I just feel like there were times last year where 
he probably wasn't being put in the best position. And you mentioned that game against Godwin, and that's just a very difficult matchup for any cornerback. Yeah. I, I don't want to yeah. take anything away from you know, the performance. I, I'm not saying he was good, but I just feel like the, um, the scheme really should have understood what type of situation uh, they were really putting their cornerbacks into. Because Tampa in general, I mean, you have Evans, you have Godwin, you have you know, a whole host of really good skill talent and they should have done a little better. They should have done a better job of kind of uh, switching up their coverages to really help them there. Um, so yeah, that's just my take. And like I said, I, Troy pride pick, I was fine with, I was hoping they would go with a cornerback with a little more length. Um, you know, the guy that Dallas drafted, uh, he's a big fan. I was a big fan of his, um, his name is escaping me right now, but uh, yeah, I mean, just in general, I feel like that's an area where, I mean, it, it's just such an unknown. I mean, we know who mm-hmm. they, um, I mean, we know what we're going to get as, as uh, Reggie Robinson. That was a guy, uh, but we right. know what we're going to get from, you know, Dante. He's going to come up with intercepts. He's going to bite and he's going to get beat. Um, but the other guys, I mean, the, the nickel and the competition there, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, I think the the coaching you're, 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 you're spot on with that, you know, again, not to be too hard on Dante here, you know, I think he's a fine player and I don't necessarily think he's a guy that they're going to cut loose after this year at all. But I do think in many ways, the consistency needs to be there this year. And hopefully the coaching will present that as a, opportunity for him because i think you're you're exactly right they've they've been through some coaching turmoil in carolina you know they the the guy's name escapes me they had a db coach that was lined up to be the 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 new db coach and he was fired or let go of before i think 2018 um for curtis fuller Fuller. and he was they were praising him like hell billy and he was supposed to be a really really good asset for that staff and yeah, it didn't work out. And then, you know, the Eric Washington experiment was back and forth. And, you know, there was a lot of distractions and some injuries. And I think this is a good opportunity for him to really shine and show some consistency. There's no question he can make dynamic plays. But, uh, you know, you're exactly right. He's, uh, he's a guy who will bite. And he's a guy that will go for the big home run ball as a corner. And we'll see how that works for uh, this coming season. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's... um. Let's go to safeties now, and this is, up, I would probably say, the more the better position group on defense, probably outside of the D line. Uh, Jeremy Chin, who they drafted in the second round, I was a huge fan of him coming out. Uh, very versatile safety, big guy. He's tremendously athletic, 99th percentile, spark. Uh, Trey Boston, who they've re-signed again. Um, I'm a pretty decent. I'm a pretty big fan of his as well. Um, especially on the back end and coverage. He does a lot of good things well. He's consistently in the right places. And, I mean, you see him making pass breakups or interceptions. And mm-hmm. he's just been underrated for quite a while. Um, I know a lot of fans kind of take issue with, you know, how he does in run support and some of his tackling issues. And they are egregious. I don't want to take anything away. But um, I think that the ability to, in coverage, kind of matters a little more. And a few guys... They have in, um, you know, on their depth chart, uh, Kenny Robinson. He had a really good year. Uh, very intriguing player uh, coming out of the XFL. Um, they had to use a draft pick on him because he didn't finish college. If I'm 
if you know if I'm reading the situation right, and then Quinn Blanding and Justin Burris. Burris was another guy that they picked up in free agency. Uh, I like that pickup as well. Uh, I thought he was pretty solid for the Browns last year. Um, you know, he's very versatile. I mean, he could do it all. I mean, he's a very dependable tackler. Um, I mean, you can line him up in the in the box and match with a tight end or running back, or you could have him out in single high safety. Um, so I think he can do it all. He can play anywhere um, on the back end. And uh, Kenny Robinson, he's more of a guy who, who does a little more. I'm tr- excuse me, switching back to Kenny Robinson. He, he's more of a coverage guy, more of like a Trey Boston type where he's really good in coverage and uh, he can play that single high role and the ability to flip his hips from one area to the next and really get to the sideline uh, and make a play on the ball really is intriguing. And then just to, back, um, just to finish up the depth chart, Quinn Blanding, TJ Green, and uh, Natral Jamerson um, are a few other guys that they have behind them. Uh, but what are your impressions of this group? Uh, give me some guys you like and just your your overall kind of thoughts here. Sure, yeah. It's a, it's a fun group. I, Trey, to me, is a really good center field safety. You know, if you're going to ask him to, you know, fit the run consistently, you're going to have some consistency issues there. And we've seen it. We've talked about it. We've chronicled it. And that's something that's a part of his game that everybody's got a liability that's his. But in terms of his range, I love it. I've loved it since 2014. You know, he made a play against Matt Ryan in that uh, Week 17 game that clinched the division that was spectacular. He just uh, jumped the route, uh, covered 20 yards of ground, and took it to the house. And he's got the ability to take it to the house. I love that ability to cover the field from one sideline to the other and cover one or single high and, you know, go get that ball. He he did it last year against Drew Brees, did it last year against Ryan Tannehill, two guys that rarely get picked. So he has a penchant for coming up with these interceptions against guys who don't have a track record of getting picked a lot. So I do like his, you know, I don't want to use the word leadership, but again, there's been some talk that, you know, he's wanted to take control of this secondary for a while now, and Eric Reed is gone, and now he's the veteran back there calling the signals. And I think that benefits him a lot, his personality, his game. Uh, he's a good leader, and I think he'll be a good fit for what Phil Snow wants to do. Jeremy Chin, I love that draft pick, man. I think, you know, we talked about this with Cody Alexander and some of what Phil Snow uh, might be looking to do in terms of three safeties, that multiple look. Uh, He fits right into that, and he can play the box. He can cover a little bit. You know, I, I love his ability to make plays in the intermediate part of the field there. I think that's a great pickup. And you talked about his athletic testing. That's something you're very high on. A lot of scouts are high on that as well. And I think that he did very well in that area. Justin Burris is a solid pickup. Uh, There was, uh, I think, a report a while back that I think even Jordan Rodriguez had talked about, if I'm not mistaken, that the team had sort of penciled him in early on as the starter at safety opposite Boston there. So I don't know if that's something that's going to hold or if they'll rotate. But the coaches really love the guy, and it sounds like he's got a leg up on having a lot of playing time there. And you talked about some of the guys that you were brought in through the draft and otherwise. You know, Kenny Robinson, interesting prospect. You know, the XFL playing time he had serves him well, I think. Has some professional experience there. And, uh, you know, there's guys like Jamerson, who you talked about. I was really high on Jamerson last year from a special teams perspective. He was making plays at Gunner, doing some really good things in coverage there in terms of special teams, and then he got hurt. And I think that did hurt that unit a little bit. 
Uh, TJ Green, these uh, Quinn Blanding too, two former ACC guys that played at a high level, six foot three, six foot two, a lot of range there in terms of their length. And uh, Blanding, I've liked for a couple years now. I think he's really got potential to stick. So it's a dynamic group. I think you're right. Um, where the corners do concern me a little bit in terms of their inconsistencies, I think the safety group can be one of the better ones in this division if they can, uh, you know, get the proper coaching and be put in the right spots. Yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment 100%. Um, so it looks like you and I kind of agree there on the safety. So let's transition out of special teams. Uh, we brought him up last week, but I'll start with um, one of the returners. Uh, it's going to be the receiver we picked up. Um, his name is escaping me right now. Uh, <laughs> um, gosh. Farrow Cooper. Farrow Cooper, yeah. Former Gamecock. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we spoke about him last week. And like I said, I think this is probably their first true returner. Um, in a while so it's going to be interesting uh, to see how if he is going to be penciled in as a punt returner or the kick returner or both Uh, but my suspicion is he will be doing both roles Um, I know we spoke about him a little bit last week but why don't you give us just like your one minute kind of analysis on you know his game and what he can bring yeah I like Farrow a lot he played right down the road here at USC and I think he's you know got enough experience from his time at Arizona from uh, his time with Los Angeles to to come right in and be that veteran presence at return and punt return, kick return, both spots that eliminates any confusion there. One thing that's plagued Carolina the past few years, as you mentioned, is Ron's inability to just settle on somebody in those positions. We've gone through DJ Moore. We've gone through, uh, you know, Demir Bird. We've gone through Christian McCaffrey at times, which I don't want any part of. You know, Matt Rule mentioned earlier in the offseason, I'm sure it's all bullshit coach speak, you know, we like Christian to kick return. No, 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 we're we're not going to do that, okay? We're going to keep him on the offensive side of the ball, let him do his thing. So I think Farrell was a signing when I saw it, you know, back in the spring. Right away, that's a guy that I hope they don't cut. I hope they find a way to keep him. I hope he produces, first of all, well enough in this truncated camp to earn a spot. But unless he doesn't earn a spot, you know, I I, I certainly hope they keep him on. Because you're right, it's been a long time since Carolina has had consistency in the return game. You look at way back in 96, Michael Bates would have been one. Rod Smart back in the early part of the 2000s. Mark Jones would be another one. Ted Ginn obviously had a good handle on that for a while. And, you know, the punt return is obviously the more important of the two because you're going to have more opportunities there. So I think it's important they got a veteran in there. I like him a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, So let's go over to the other specialists. So the big news, Graham Gano. He's finally being released um, of his duties. And they're going to roll with Joey Sly. So I'll give you kind of my impressions of that decision, and then we'll go over to you. I always felt that I had a kind of... I never really disliked Graham Gano. I always thought he was an okay kicker. My issue became in 2017, after that season, he had a really good season, but he did miss that extra point in the Superdome. I don't even think it was an extra point. It was actually a 20-yard field goal. Yeah, yeah sure. It might have been an extra point. I don't know what it was. He missed no, a really good goal. goal. It was a short field goal. You're right. He, he missed a chip shot and then two players there the Saints score, um, which was really a dagger. But anyway, he had a, like, 
I mean, this is kind of like where data will help you kind of drive and inform you in, in decision making. That was an outlier season for Graham Gano, even just, you know, removing that Saints game. The regular season, he was, you know, by all expectations, he was fantastic and he was in a contract year. But what did the Panthers do? I mean, they drafted, you know, I mean, Gettleman drafted the guy, Budker, yep. from Kansas City. Or, I mean, they Georgia Tech. And, I mean, I don't know what the Panthers were doing. They had him on the practice squad for, like, a few games, and they released him from the practice squad, and then the Chiefs picked him up. And that was just the misuse of resources there really kind of hamstrung this team. And I'm not saying that Butker is, like, the next Morton Anderson or anything, but he did just win a Super Bowl and playing in an offense that – yeah, he's going to be on the field quite a bit because he's either kicking a field goal or kicking an extra point. So right. it's not like he's, you know, without work. I just never understood that decision, and I still don't to this day. Um, so, I mean, we fast forward three years later, Joey Sly comes in, and I thought he, for a rookie kicker, I mean, obviously he had the game against the Saints, uh, coincidentally enough, inside the Superdome where he just – yeah. Had a brain fart, and a lot of people really were really upset with him. And he kind of bounced back after that. He played pretty well up to close the season. I, I have no issue with him being the starting kicker moving forward. Uh, it's just the mismanagement of this position and them not kind of giving the reins to Butker when they should have uh, kind of put them in this weird predicament because I still don't know if, Sly, if Sly is good. I mean, I don't mind him getting an extra year. But, you know, Gano just had, like, these outlier seasons where, I mean, if they really kind of looked at the data more closely, they would realize that this is not the kind of kicker he is, and he's kind of outperforming his expectations. So that's just kind of like my long whirlwind of, you know, the kicker position for the past four or five years. Let's get your first take on Gano being released and also of Joey Sly being the presumptuous starting kicker. I think the Gano release was hand in hand with the theme that Carolina has gone with all off season. You can't blame them for one thing, and that's consistency. They they have definitely cleaned house, and uh, Gano is you know kickers can kick till they're forty, forty five years old. It's not a problem, but um, I think some of the inefficiencies and some of the inconsistencies uh, for for short range stuff concern them. Uh, you know, look at the Detroit game too in twenty eighteen, you know, he missed a chip shot there too. Um and he's missed a few of those over the course of the past few years. I think I think <laughs> you go back to maybe twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, he was among the league leaders in terms of uh missed PATs and kicks inside of thirty yards. So uh that probably concerned them a bit. And I do like Sly. You know, I, I Saw him kick at camp last year. The first day he got to camp, I was there. And, you know, it's hard to tell these things. I mean, none of us are, you know, brilliant enough to see there and say, God, this guy can do it. But the way the ball came off his foot was just a little bit different than what I was used to. You know, he just got, he was high and long. He had a lot of loft on these uh, kicks, and he was able to carry the ball 50-plus yards consistently at camp. And it sort of opened my eyes a little bit. So, you know, I felt the guy could... He could make the roster and do some good things. Obviously, he had a killer preseason. He made everything. Uh, and then, you know, he comes out and does some good things in the regular season. 
uh, made some long ones, and then he had the hiccup in New Orleans. So that's going to happen. Uh, the Harrison Butker situation was very unfortunate because you're right. He's been one of the more efficient kickers in the league. Uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's played with a Super Bowl champ, and your, your point is exactly right. The data says, you know, the guy has been on the field a lot and has come through a lot because Kansas City is going to score a lot, and they're going to be relying on him to make extra points and to make, you know, mid- to long-range field goals. So that's unfortunate. As Ron would say, that's a missed opportunity, but <laughs> that's definitely in the past. Uh, I think they made the right decision here to give Sly a look. I, I don't like tying up too much financially in these positions. And I not to, you know, neglect how important a kicker is, because that's not the, the place I'm coming from here, but there's only so much you can allocate, you know, on this roster financially. And I think going the cheaper route here was probably a better idea. Now, cap hit, I don't know where they stand on that. I have to go back and look, but I know that's part of the total deal they're dealing with this year with the dead money there's a lot of it and after this year hopefully that becomes less of an issue but uh i i like sly at this point to uh to take that gig now will he be built to last for this job time will tell but i think at this point it was a good move for carolina to cut ties and move on yeah i don't know it's it seems like they're just hamstrung with gano's contract and then his injury kind of forced them into finding yeah. A replacement, which ended up being Joey Sly. So, I mean, I just think it's a low-risk player to have on your roster for another season. If he has more hiccups, then you find another guy. That's, it's con- it's consistent with the theme with Olsen and, and Newton, too, and, and as far as guys that are getting up there in age, guys who have had injuries that have recurred, and guys who would cost you more than their replacements. And I think that that's pretty consistent with what Matt and Marty and all those guys have been doing, so I wasn't surprised at all. Right. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, So that's the kicker position. Going on to punter, and unfortunately, one of the better punters in the NFL, who we have on our team, Michael Pilardi, suffered a seasoning-ending injury. Um, So they're going with a guy named Joseph Charlton. I have really... No idea who he is or how he punts. Do you have any insight? <laughs> Joseph Charlton was a good punter. Uh, again, this is another Gamecock we're talking about here. Played right down the road here in Columbia. Put some good numbers up there. Uh, and he's thought very highly of among the SEC crowd. Um, he's he's a local. I mean, he's a Carolina guy. He's AC Flora High School right down there in Columbia. So... He's a guy who has played locally here, and he's obviously thrilled to join the team because uh, it's like a dream come true. There's a lot of unknowns, though. He's a he's a big six foot five, one ninety. So obviously that's that's massive right there. Um, in terms of his punting last year, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, he was consistently booming him 44, 45 yards plus. Uh, you know, he had seven punts in one game against. Uh, let me look at this right quick against Tennessee. For a 50 average. He had a long of 66 in that game. Um, not a lot of touchbacks, which is good. He had uh, 28 inside the 20. Again, it's a different game, different ball, different everything in the NFL. But uh, it's a drop-off. Pilardi's game was finesse, obviously. One of the best directional kickers in the league. Uh, we've chronicled that on our film study on our timeline here. Some of the stuff he did, like that Houston game last year comes to mind, Billy, when it, the margins were so close in that game, it came down to things like a, a good coffin corner kick from the left footer. And 
Pilardi pulled that off consistently. He did it against Tampa last year, and it led to a safety. Uh, you know, those are things that you miss out on in the margins when you lose a veteran like Mike Pilardi. I was devastated to see that injury for him because I know he's been really coming on here lately in the last couple of years. But uh, we're going to get another look at a young kicker here, uh, Joseph Charlton, six foot five, one ninety, from Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, if nothing else, it'll be intriguing. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's maybe another time we can discuss the the nuances of why special teams is such an important. Uh, position group and this is an area where i've really really felt strongly about for a long time it's just the fact that the of the matter is it's you don't want to ignore this area and it doesn't necessarily just come from being able to punt the ball 60 yards and down it at the you know well or punting at 60 yards in general or kicking or being like a perfect field goal kicker it mainly comes from your ability to cover and prevent long kickoffs or uh, pun returns and right. Carolina did a really poor job of that last year. Uh, I mean, they decided to bring back Chase Blackburn, to which I was a little surprised with them. I thought the special teams was just, if not worse, then I mean, it was a microcosm of the team in general, they were really bad. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe you know, new personnel, new coaching staff, you know, up at the top kind of forces him to make changes or look in the mirror and decide to, um, you know, really follow the trends of what makes a successful special teams unit overall. And like I said, it's just not about um, returning at 40, 50 yards, although that helps. It's mainly about preventing the long kickoff or punt return and, you know, setting yourself up, your defense up with ideal field position. There's some tactical stuff from a special teams perspective. We have to grab a guest at some point, maybe a former special teams coach that we know, and and get him to help us walk through this because it's there's a lot of nuance there, and and it's it's hard to cover it in one podcast, but uh, or at one tail end of one podcast. But you're exactly right. You know, the last thing you want to see from a a rookie kicker is you know line drive boomers that are returnable, and there's just there's so much nuance to it. It's just too much to cover, but. Uh, We'll see how it goes with Charlton. It's a it's a different look. We're going to be back at you here this week. Uh, I think Billy and I are going to try to round up a few more guests here. We had a good, nice couple episodes here. We're able to kind of do one-on-one, and I think that's fun, too, to be able to just back and forth, get some ideas out there as to what you're going to see in 2020 from your Panthers. Hopefully this has been instructive. If not, hopefully it's been entertaining. If not, hey, throw it in the garbage. We don't give a shit, but at least at least give it a listen. As far as uh, moving forward, I think we'll try to add a few more guests to the rotation here, give you a glimpse of what's coming up in the league, uh, not only from the Panthers' perspective, but from the entire landscape. There's a lot of news right now from the college ranks. Obviously, that has an effect on the NFL draft, and we'll have to look forward to that as the week comes ahead. But uh, we've enjoyed it. John Ellis, Billy Marshall, Blue Wire Podcast. It's The Roar. Check us out on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, anywhere where podcasts are available. Hope you guys have a great night. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.